No more. Welcome to Xavier's Dream Podcast. I'm your host, Rain Coleman. This podcast is a carefree black nerd examination of the newest Dawn of X-Men. When you're listening to this podcast, please comment and live tweet using the hashtag Xavier's Dream Pod and XD Pod. Also, guys, subscribe, 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 subscribe on your favorite podcast listening app. Xavier's Dream Pod is now available on Spotify along with the entirety of the Carefree Black Nerd Library. So make sure to go over there and subscribe on Spotify as well as all other podcasting apps um also social medias uh hit me up uh carefree black nerd on all social medias except for twitter which is carefree blurred share share subscribe retweet tell a friend to tell a friend to tell a friend let me know that you're listening (laughs) now guys on to episode seven house of x issue four it will be done (sighs) okay y'all so we are into we're more than halfway through uh this series it, house of x and powers of 10 are really yeah they doing some shit um i'm very sad <laughs> this was a very very emotional issue um wasn't any boohooing going on over here, but it was a very sad issue. Um, a lot of things happened, and I guess before getting into the events of the issue, we might want to focus, I don't know, a little bit on the mutants themselves and their death toll in the comics so far. Look at what they've done. Mutant extinction events. Genosha. Sentinel. Trask. Mamadre genocide. 16.5 million dead. Decimation. Mutant erasure by the pretender. Wanda Maximoff. 1 million depowered. In addition to the two mutant extinction level events, recent history has seen an uptick in the incidences of human on mutant violence. The increased number of mutant births since the lights has only served to provide more opportunity for these human on mutant crimes to be enacted. Mutant population. Pre Genosha. 17,508,236. Total mutant population of Earth, 0.0025%. Predecimation, 986,618. Mutants lost, 16,521,618. Remaining mutant population of Earth, 0.00014%. Post-decimation, 198. Mutants lost, 986,420. Remaining mutant population of worth, 0.0000000029%. So I need to know uh, more about this pretender talk. Like, is Wanda not a mutant? Is she now, her and Pietro, human? Are they enhanced? Um, is she a betrayer of the mutants? Is she an alien? Is she even friggin' alive? Where's Pietro? Where's Lorna? Um, let me see. Now, these reports specifically. So, we've been reading these text pages in every book. And I'm enjoying them. They're giving us the right amount of information. They're keeping us um, hooked up. But are these 
like from a nebulous source? Are they the Orkis findings? Are they uh, recorded by the X-Men? Or maybe they are the Nimrod files um, in physical form that we saw in Powers of Ten a few issues ago. Um, what else? Could they be Moira? Are these Moira's um, uh, findings? Is this her documenting her several lives like what is this i'm so interested uh so i guess getting right into the story now look at what they've done so we start on krakoa in observation we open up on uh charles and magneto charles still wearing his uh signature helmet and uh he asks are we ready there's a voice that says we are professor trinary is pulling all observable data from human resources. And then uh, it goes into discussing some of the different things that they are pulling their uh, observations from. Um, and I believe Trinity were, was introducing X-Men Red. That was the Jean Grey-led team. I believe that's her first appearance. Um, now, he says, while that still leaves us a good eight light minutes behind, we fortunately have someone on hand who can extrapolate the data into an actionable forecast so what we see is a wide open space almost like a sanctuary or a baptism space it looks like where we have a trinary uh over these pods that i'm going to assume are the pods from issue one of house of x or something similar and then we have trinary and a woman behind her we have Magneto and Eric, Magneto, Eric, Magneto and Charles, excuse me, standing off to the back. And then the person who was speaking before was actually Beast. And he's in this like, it looks like a bunch of screens floating, very futuristic, but it's uh, in the kind of vein of the Phoenix. It looks very industrial, but laid over this very organic space. There's um, another a woman behind him as well, which is one of the Cuckoo Sisters. And then in the foreground, we do have Storm in her all-black decked-out action gear with one of the Cuckoo Sisters as well. So, uh, Xavier turns to Hank. He says, uh, you've always had a good head on your shoulders, Henry. And, okay, thank you, sir. It's easily my third best feature. Um, and so, this conversation, this exchange between Charles and the rest of the X-Men feels very... Um, very different from what we've had before, though we're they're just saying words, um, and there's nothing extravagant as far as what the conversation is, but coupled with the artwork and the body language and the story that we've gotten so far, this feels very much like a kinder, gentler Charles, um, to say the least. So Storm, she says, yeah, I believe we're ready. I'm still not exactly sure how this is going to work. And Xavier puts his head down a bit. He says, communion, my dear. All eight of us acting as one. Shall we begin? Now, there is some religious overtones, but then it's also... I don't know. This book is different. It's, I think the religious aspect of it leans more into the science fiction of it all. Um, we get this very blue page. Where everything is dark. Xavier lifts his head up. That X that covers his eyes is like blindingly white. And he commences to have this communion. He says the Cuckoo Sisters will bind each of you 
enabling you to join your minds together and function as a singular organism with observation, analysis, invocation, and for myself, connection. Can you hear me, my child? No sooner does he do this, and again, add this to the list of scenes that I want to see played out on screen. Storm is in with one of the Cuckoo Sisters in this pond, and throughout all this shared experience, Storm manifests the face of Jean Grey, Marvel Girl. Um, this is a very good looking panel. Um, and shout out to the creative team. Let me walk this back a bit. So for uh, House of X issue four, Jonathan Hickman, the writer, Pepe Lars is the artist, Marte Gracia, the color artist, VCs Clayton Kyles is the letterer, Tom Mueller is the designer, Pepe Larza and Marte Gracia is the cover artist, and a ton of other variant cover artists. So shouts out to you, Pepe Larza, the color as well, Marte Gracia. This is a phenomenal page. Uh, so once her head kind of springs up, Wizard of Oz style from the water, Charles is like, oh, Gene, the anguish in your mind, the pain, should we fear for the worst? Uh, what I do like is that the psychic bubbles that we're getting from this run harkens back to the old school psychic bubbles where it was the, the thought bubble with the little lines in it that indicated that this is a telepathic conversation. Uh, before moving on, I do want to point out the panel where Charles looks up to the sky and he says, and for myself connection can you hear me my child there is some writing or some symbols connected through his eyes that are like lingering above him that is very akin to the markings or the tattoos on the librarian uh from powers of 10 i believe that was issue one if you look on the side of his face and then you look at charles's floating hieroglyphics you'll see that they're very similar so i'm sure that's no accident hickman is on a roll he know what the hell he's doing so with this we get a lot going on so we flash cut to fire fire and brimstone now one thing i want to point out is that we okay so this week's issue the there's death. There's a lot of death. Now, last issue, we ended with an explosion in the space station. And I assume, much like I'm sure other people, that most, if not all, of the team were dead. Now, I had seen the cover for House of X issue 4 already. Uh, so, I know one can be like, oh, well, you saw that they were going to be on the cover. And why did you think they were dead? Well, with the introduction of Moira and her several lives, I don't trust anything that I see. So, yes, I did see the solicits and I saw the cover for issue four. And I also thought an explosion last issue. With that being said, and with Moira's different lives, I, I thought, you know, maybe they all died and everything was reset. And this was a war that came out of one of those resets. Like, I, at this point, I'm taking it as it is. And it's, I'm enjoying it a bit more than um, kind of harping on myself about, like, oh, well, they're going to be in the next issue. I'm not worried about that. It's It didn't detract from... like It was still heavy. That explosion from the last issue was still heavy. Um, with this one, we get a lot of deaths. We start off with Angel and Husk. So Warren Worthington III and Paige Goodthree are both dead from the explosion. 
uh, Monet is cradling Marvel Girl in her arms, kind of um, helping to amplify her psychic telepathic abilities. Um, you got Mystique covering, I think, Husk with a sheet. You got Wolverine in the foreground, Nightcrawler, and then Cyclops and uh, holding Angel, his corpse. So, Gene uh, is reporting back. She said, we under we underestimated these people's resolve and it cost us. And he asked, can you complete the mission? And this is like this book I read through pretty quickly. I still took my time and I read everything and I kind of went back and forth. But I got through this pretty quickly, mainly because I felt like if this was playing out on screen, it would be fast. This is a very high energy action issue. Um... And so I went back and read it again, kind of just taking in the colors, the text, the things that I maybe didn't notice the first time. And pretty much we have a fight to the death. Um, Scott insists that we can finish it. We have to, or this was all for nothing. Wolverine chimes in as well. And that makes sense. Like we've made it this far. Why on earth would we stop now? So uh, we soldier on. It's what they say. Now this Scott is a Scott that I like. Um, I'm kind of all over the place with Scott because he was never a favorite character of mine. I liked seeing him. He was cool, whatever. But I never really latched on to him like I did others. I like this Scott. Um, I'm assuming that Scott and Gene or all of the X-Men or at least a few of them are some sort of Matrix-style pod people. Um, I don't know what that means for us in the larger scheme of things like are these chimera as well are these people created from the dna from the original bodies nothing has really been confirmed uh but i'm i'm looking forward to figuring this out with everyone else so scott talks to nightcrawler can you get us in there he's badly bruised but he's like yeah i can do this so cyclops's plan is <clears throat> okay gene and monet will stay here to maintain our connection with krakoa Succeed or fall, they have to know what happens next. The rest of us will jump in and disengage the mother mode's control collars and send that thing into a one-way trip to oblivion. Nightcrawler will drop off one of each of us in the sections of mother mode. Wolverine will take the nearest to the security hub, while Mystique will take the one connected to the habitat so she can blend in. Kurt and I We'll take the remaining two. Once the job is done, he'll gather us up and then we'll worry about finding some way out of here. Be safe, be strong, win. This montage of him delivering this plan is so beautifully drawn, colored and everything. I want to see this. I Pretty much I want to see House of X and Powers of 10 just played out on screen. Just period. Like this the way that we're moving so quickly in House of X and Powers of Ten are moving fast as well, but a bit slower and with a bit more, I don't want to say purpose, but with a bit more um, maybe intention, intention to story and detail. I think what we have so far could probably be expressed in a three-hour movie. You might want to break it up into a bit more if... That's the route that Marvel would take so that you can um, soak it all in and tell a complete story without rushing. But I think it could be done because we're moving pretty fast here. Um, 
So next, next shot we get is uh, what I thought for whatever reason I thought was Scott and Husk, but the voice says, "Get up." What? I, I, you have to get up. Why? I don't. I technically, I'm an observer here, Doctor Gregor. I have no command authority. So if you plan on just sitting there, defeated, paralyzed by loss, then I can actually order you to defend this station. But if you don't, he will have died for nothing. So we have Karima and Dr. Gregor. This is immediately after the death of her husband. The art, again, is beautiful. The tears, the anguish, the pain that Dr. Gregor is feeling is expressed really well on panel here. Amazing color, amazing art. I am here for it. So Dr. Gregor kind of, she has this, this scowl on her face where she is angry as shit. She uh, patches into whatever command center, command link or whatever. And she says, look, this is Dr. Gregor, who's currently in charge of the security station. Captain Moore buzzes in and he says, uh, I am, you know, um, I've got the wheel, blah, blah, whatever. Where are you, Captain? He says, I'm on a command deck trying to coordinate fire teams and emergency staff. Now, Gregor is pissed. She says, listen carefully, Captain. I'm at the habitat control collar for the mother mode. You need to send teams to the remaining three immediately. That's their real target. So pretty much Karima has gotten Gregor off of her, her mess. Now, I'm rooting for the mutants, of course, like fist to the sky, black power all day long. But I was also rooting for... Gregor in this instance not because I want her to win but because I'm very interested in seeing what does she have up her sleeve what are you going to do both teams have their backs against the wall everything is on fire everybody is about to meet their end no matter who wins there's going to be destruction on both sides how how can Gregor get out of this and how can she do so successfully so that there's some sort of victory um so what happens is we hear a couple kachunks, <laughs> which are expressed on screen, and that is the sound of failure, Karima says. So the mutants have disengaged two of the four collars that Mother Mode has connecting connecting it or her. Uh, and again, remember, Mother Mode has not gone online yet because she's still in this kind of, I don't want to say psychotic, this very... Um, unchecked stage I'll say where we don't know if she's insane or not just yet and like I said before that's such a terrifying thing to be a possibility a machine that's programmed to destroy mutants and that is going through a psychotic or a challenging phase of uncertainty for the people who created it remember Karima said well after they're done with the mutants, and I'm, this is not verbatim, but after the Sentinels are done with the mutants, what do you, where do you think they'll go next? They're going to turn on you, humans, because humans are the creation of mutants. Um, so that's very important, I think, going forward with this. So Sector 4 is down in Sector 2. So Wolverine and Nightcrawler done their thing. They didn't knock out everybody, took these collars off. Now back at Krakoa, we see, this is such a beautiful looking Thing. This water, this storm using her powers to manifest this psychic link that's between the eight of these people. That is, that is nice. I don't know if this has been done before. If so, I can't recall seeing it. So, 
Gene reports, we're halfway there, Professor. Wolverine and Nightcrawler are done. We're moving our way back. The Sentinel drones are on a uh, arc gene, is what was said by, and I think that's Hank. He says they're going to be there soon. So, again, remember, they are eight light speed minutes or something away. Um, and so Gene continues, I think we're okay. Psychops is close. And Mystique, we have to move. So this is my girl. Y'all already know. Anyone who has been a fan or listening to Carefree Black Nerd knows that Monet St. Croix is one of my all-time favorite top five characters hands down so she appears in this um psychic water telephone facetime thing talk about we got to move this is where the issue picks up for me not that it wasn't already firing on all freaking cylinders so you guys who have read it how are you feeling about the comic this far tweet me uh carefree blurred use that hashtag xavier's dream pod or xd pod i were you aware or did you think that the mutants were dead? Did you think that they survived? I mean, we know the solicits for issue four were out. The cover was out, you know, a while back. But were you at the least bit concerned that they were dead or was that just me? Was I the only person reading this book that was like, oh, man, they dead. Like, I can't be the only one. Let me know. So, Monet bends down, uh, picks up Jean. And she's like, okay, what? She says, we're being boarded. So the signals that were uh, redirected were coming straight to this station. Now, there's an escape pod. Monet pushes Jean into the escape pod. Jean's like, oh, you're not coming? Now, a lot of this, though I'm not, I've just become a fan of Jean from X-Men Red and like a collection of other stories. This seems very out of character for her to me. In this this run of um, of X Men, it seems as if Jean is very young, not like the original five X Men that was time displaced. But her behavior, Scott's as well. I don't take anything as it seems. Now that we have Monet and Husk, uh, Paige Guthrie, on panel in the book on a mission, what I'm going to assume is that some kind of way these pod people that were created at least gene and scott are pod people we have to assume that and that maybe everyone else has existed in this timeline naturally they were born they were raised up until this point but for whatever reason gene and scott specifically but maybe others were killed uh knocked out put in a coma or whatever and so these new iterations we have of them are from the clone genetics or they're the pod people because something about the way Monet is acting feels very in line with the character whereas Jean seems very young and for chronologically speaking and historically speaking um, if we're sticking to the X-Men comics over the course of since 1963 to present Monet is decades younger than Jean I know there's a sliding time scale, so Gene and the rest of the original adults would be in their, let's say, early to mid-30s, whereas Kitty Pryde's generation, I would say, is maybe late 20s, and then the Generation X students would be, I'd say, early to mid-20s, where this newest, like Pixie and Anoli and all them, they would probably be late teens, like 17 to 21, 17 to 20 ish. Um, I say that because 
What happens next is Monet, after Jean yells, oh, you're not coming, because she feels very, she seems very scared. Like, is this the Jean who has not encountered the Phoenix Force? Why is there not more power? Why is she not giving me more strength, more attitude, more uh, competency? So she says, oh, you're not coming. And Monet says very calmly, they have to find someone here or else they'll immediately start looking for you. And you have to stay in touch with the teams to connect, excuse me, and connect with Krakoa. Jean screaming, and you can just the way they're drawn, this has to be deliberate. The team's not a problem, but at this distance, without us working in tandem, the other is, well, you need to come with me. Monet closes the, the hatch, the door for the uh, escape pod, and she says very smugly, as she always does, I don't know what to say, Marvel girl. Try harder. So <laughs> it's just like... She is this, I love Monet. Monet St. Croix is my fave, period, hands down. Um, and I have a sneaking suspicion that she is a favorite of Hickman as well. The more I see Generation X characters popping up in his works, the more I'm convinced that he was a fan and he may share the same love that I do. But that's neither here nor there. So she closes the hatch and sends Jean out. So then she turns to the intruders boarding their uh, station she says because we're out of options i don't know what to say marvel girl try harder because we're out of options so then she says now on to you this is where i flipped the fuck out monet st croix turns to fight the passengers the intruders who are now on their space station the next panel, she transforms into the Penis character. How in the fuck is Monet able to do this? Now, is there something that I am missing? Is this something new with Hickman? Is this something that he is going to explore a bit further in the future? What makes me so convinced that he is a fan of Generation X is the fact that Penis has shown up. Where has she been since the end of Generation X? There has not been that many appearances. And for somebody to not only include Husk, but also M into this run, well, M and also Husk, excuse me, into this run prominently featured, when you could have had any number of other mutants on this kind of sort of suicide mission. And then you also go a step further and bring in the Penance Persona, this red diamond skinned character who was like, you can't, you ain't about to tell me that Hickman ain't a fan as well. I can only pray, hope, clap, cast a spell, and hope that in the future we may get Everett Thomas. If Everett Thomas shows up in any of these books, I'm sold on this new dawn. I've already been sold. I'm going to get the books anyways, but man, I am sold. So, uh, another thing of note is that Penis, her, and I don't, again, everything I'm going to assume is intentional, but her hair is very, is diamond hard and razor sharp as well. I, this can't be a mistake that it looks, <coughs> excuse me, as if there are two fingerprints in her hair, like fingerprints that are big enough for me to put my finger over and it look like it's mine. I don't know what the significance of that is because you could have shaded her hair in so many different ways, but this looks exactly like a fingerprint. So either it was intentional or somebody, 
put their finger on some wet artwork or something and now it's just stuck in uh in a book but either way the fact that monet has transformed into penis it's like this woman is already one of the most powerful mutants out there she is just amazing and then you put this on her as well this this ability to try man she commences to whooping they motherfucking ass when i tell you this is a blub another scene i would love to see played out on screen period 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 poo <laughs> so uh moving on to scott in the forge he's already at the control collar he's blasting through stuff disengaging and um he says that pretty much that leaves mystique now when he said that he's like oh mystique mystique are you there mystique she <laughs> i assumed that she had went off on some rogue mission um, now, the way that I've been reading this, because I do read a physical copy, I don't read this online, I usually cover up the uh, following page so I can't spoil anything for myself, and I've started also covering up the page by panel so I can just slowly uncover the story. She's walking very calmly and says to Scott, stop screaming in my head, Summers. I hear you. I got turned around, but I'm here now. I've... Hold on. Something's... Now... This is where I thought she was lying. How do you get turned around in this space station? Like, why would you write that? That's that's significant for some reason. So she turns her head, and there in the, I don't know, doorway is Karima and Gregor. Karima, uh, excuse me, Gregor has her hand held over this button. Mystique's like, oh, something's not right. Gregor says, hey there, got some bad news for you. She slams the door shut, opening this hatch which sucks Mystique out into open space. This is such a terrifying image. Like, you just know Mystique is dead. But what I was thinking while reading this is you have the ability to shapeshift into anything you want. Why are you not changing into stuff? Like, you have to, well, not have to. I would imagine in this continuity, you know what a scroll is. You know what, like... Um, interdimensional species are like aliens who can survive in space. Hell, Captain Marvel alone, why can't you just shapeshift into her? Like, turn into something to save yourself. Now, I say that, but we don't know if she didn't. With the way Hickman is writing this and the way these scenes are kind of ending, she may very well have. So, I don't know. I don't know. Um, so, now Gregor is pissed and so again i'm still rooting for the mutants but i'm rooting for gregor because i want to see how far is she going to get what is what is she going to be capable of before she actually is um thwarted but then at the same time because of the introduction 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 of moira's many lives is this a timeline when gregor will get the upper hand so even though i'm Rooting for the mutants by default, but then kind of sort of rooting for Gregor because I want to see how this is unfolding. I can't say, oh, well, the mutants are going to save the day because for how dark and heavy this story has been and the future timelines that we see in Powers of Ten have been, who knows if this is a timeline where Gregor actually wins. So, though I'm rooting, maybe rooting for her isn't the right, where I'm interested to see what a villain of her nature can achieve one being not being superpowered and two having this personal vendetta but then having that amplified by a vendetta that you now have because your husband is dead 
So her and Kareem are talking. Um, she talks to the captain. She's talking about they disabled the three columns, which the X-Men are on a fucking row. Um, she said, hopefully a hard vacuum will keep them out. Because, of course, she just released Mystique into open space. He's like, good. We'll eliminate the remaining opposition on this ship. So all, ta- all, excuse me, all support teams are now en route to that one ship where Gene is. So that means... Gene finna either get her ass whooped or she finna have to pull a rabbit out her ass because this ain't this ain't it, Chief. So um, she wants to bring Mother Mode on live. So Karima, and it seems like Karima is the only one who is thinking clearly. She's like, okay, what do you mean bring Mother Mode on live? She says, oh, I'll give you one guess. So she turns on Mother Mode. Karima is visibly shook. It's too soon. You don't know that it's going to be insane. Gregor says, I think it will be. And I won't let them stop us no matter what. Which is like, we, I don't think have had stakes this high and that felt this real in a very long time. Um, Again, a lot of that is due to editors at Marvel and different choices with rebooting things and restarting things after 6 and 12 issues or 24 or whatever. Nothing ever felt permanent. Nothing ever really felt like it mattered. Um, At least not for me. This run matters. And if it turns out that it didn't, that would be upsetting. But in the moment, going through this, reading these last few issues since the first one, this has felt like something that matters. It felt like something heavy. It felt like something is coming and there could be casualties from it. Now, one thing I am hoping is that through this new um, Dawn of X-Men, that when a death happens, that it matters, that it sticks. Because I... It's sad, but I'm, and I know it's comics, and so it it happens, shit happens, but I'm tired of people dying, and then six months later, they're resurrected, and all is fine and well. Let this stuff matter. Let some fallout happen. Don't just bring someone back from the dead because, oh, everyone liked that character. If you have the boss to kill them, let them stay dead. Work around them. Work around not having that person. Make it actually matter. Um... With this new Moira timeline, you can kind of skirt around that with that explanation already in place. But man, (sighs) okay, so uh, Gregor pulls out a gun. It is a point-to-point translocator. Um, This is of aim, advanced idea mechanics design. And so Kareem was like, so you about to take the fight to them. And Gregor was like, yeah, that's what the hell I'm doing. So, you know, what? Now... This countdown, because now Mother Mode is coming online and we need to get out of here. We need to do a few things. We need to either destroy Mother Mode or we need to get out of here. We can't do both, it doesn't seem, because how can we? There's not enough time. One, we don't even know how we're getting back. So, Gene and Scott are connected psych- psychopathically, <laughs> telepathically. You're like, Gene, look, they're on the move. They turned on uh, Mother Mode. Gene's talking to the professor. We're almost out of time. Um, we failed to shut down the mother mode. It's coming online. And we, we don't know what to do. And that very fact right there, this whole kind of pleading, this childlike, um, I have a bit of power. I can use my power, but I don't have the the confidence to make these hard decisions on my own. I'm still relying on my professor. This feels very childlike of Gene. It doesn't feel like this is the phoenix gene this doesn't feel like the 
um, Revolution era Cyclops. It just doesn't. It feels off. Um, and Professor says, "Do whatever it takes." She relays that message to Scott. He heard it, and he is whew, in agreement. He's like, "Yeah." Um, so the mother mode thing is counting down, and then across. And this is beautiful artwork. This. This artwork, I think, even without the text, we could see, you would be able to know what's going on. You wouldn't probably know the specifics of dialogue, but you would know what's going on in this story. And that's such a good thing to have in a book, period, but especially in a book like this with so much going on. So you see Scott pounding on the window. He's sad, looks across the camera, zooms in across the way. This kind of reminds me of, for those of you who aren't, um, picking up this book and reading along with me, it reminds me of if you've seen um, Avengers Infinity War when Thor is at, I don't know, whatever that place is with the um, Lannister trying to get that um, new hammer made. And he has to open up that hatch in order to let this light shine through to get things like circles moving whatever it's you know what i'm talking about that is what the mother mode looks like and so when we zoom in to see logan and kurt way across the way they're like look we can get to her they ride or die scott reluctantly is telling them okay go go do what you have to do that being said we get a very touching moment between kurt and logan where it's like look are you ready logan who i don't think has ever been really religious says to kurt so I gotta ask, you still think there's something waiting for us on the other side? Kurt's like, oh, you're worried about your soul, Logan, huh? Just wondering what someone like me should expect. Well, when you wake from this earthly slumber, my friend, look for me. I will be there waiting for you, radiant with open arms. And this, him saying this, we know that Kurt has died and actually going to go on to heaven. We know that his Catholicism is very important to him. We know that he's been banished away from heaven for a time. I know he had lost his soul. So when it comes, if this had came from any other character, it it, it would be a good entertaining um, panel. But coming from Nightcrawler, it feels more real, for lack of a better term, because we know his experience with religion. We know his path with his self, his identity, and his um, religious versus mutant nature. Like we know these things to be true about him. Um, this also harkens back to a conversation between Cardinal and Rasputin about seeing you when the world is made new or remade, remade new or whatever. But it feels very much like a deja vu moment. And I like that we're getting these um, cyclical conversations and words that Hickman has been planting in every book. Um, this feels very similar, like you're taking these two characters, this um, religious character that is Kurt, that is Cardinal, and this very um, uh, aggressive powerhouse of a character like Logan and Rasputin, and you're saying the same thing in a slightly different context, but it's, it has these faint feelings of familiarity, and I like that, I like that, this... I, I'm ranting and raving, but I I am enjoying this book, if you can tell. <laughs> so, Kurt bamps them both over to that last and final collar. Kurt immediately disintegrates like he is dead. 
and Logan is with his regenerating abilities. He's like dying, but not dying. He's kind of disintegrating, and and his body is fighting to rebuild himself. It, he has enough time to go through and destroy the collar. All the while, Mother Mode has now come online, and she says, "If man, if man made me, then they are God, and you are Titans." their spoiled lineage. But while you war, we children sit in judgment of those above us. We judge and find you both wanting. Do you hear us, Olympus? While she's saying all this, he's finally gotten through that collar and it looks like, I don't know if this is the sun, I'm gonna imagine this is the sun, that they're hurling towards. So he breaks through and is full-bodied, um, and master, my, master, master mode, mother mode continues. We have stolen your fire. Do you hear us, Olympus? We have stolen your fire, and with it, we will burn you all. So, that being said, Logan cannot survive out in space without a spacesuit. No matter how much you um, have a great healing factor, uh, Scott watches them all die, and he says, "Gene, to the professor, it's done." The cost is our friends and our family, but it's done. So think of this. Eight people went up. Two are alive. Two. Two people are still alive. So she relays the message. Storm and everyone is like shocked. Um, he's talking about I'm coming back for you. She drifted in one of those escape pods. And so he's running the action that is translated through this panel. is so good. So... The thing to take up, take back with these next couple panels is that Scott and Jean are coming up with a plan to, one, once he gets to her, get them back to Earth. And she's like, you plan on having us just float back down to Earth? And, I mean, what other, what other option do you have? This ain't no Titanic, Rose, and Jack situation where only one of us is on a board. It's like, this is what we have. Um, this guy is a bit more... Um, comical funny sense of humor kind of lighthearted. that's what i say he doesn't feel like the original scott um because <laughs> his response to her is um yeah you're gonna drift back and you're gonna have some pretty terrible companies talking about itself doesn't matter i'm still getting you home so his concern for her is very consistent but his kind of joking nature it's not off-putting i'm okay with it but it doesn't feel in line with the scott we've gotten before although i could be wrong now he hit that corner. She told him, hurry up, Scott. He told him, don't worry, I'm on my way. And Zrankernoon, whatever this is, he is shot in the back, collapses to the ground. Gene psychically screaming, Scott, Scott, Karima, arms made into cannons. The sensation you're feeling is truly unhealthy. It's an unhealthy dose of nanites coursing through your body. They won't kill you, of course. You're too strong for that. But by now, they've gathering at the base of your skull, preventing you from using your mutant powers. He's screaming in agony. It doesn't matter. It's over. We destroyed the mother mole. We've won. Capturing me means nothing. And here comes Gregor. Capture you? She pulls out this humongous gun. My husband's dead, you son of a bitch. I'm not taking prisoners today. Through... Cyclops' visor, we see her pointing this gun at this man's head. 
He says, I'm sorry, Gene, I am not going to make it. And I think the artwork again is expertly done here. This next panel is the shattering of his visor. This is clearly blood, but the blood is black and it blends right into Gene, who is screaming no at the top of her lungs. I really like this panel. Um, being able to show his murder without relying on just blood and guts everywhere and the effect that we get from the one the psychic connection that they share and of course scott and gene are lovers but seeing her yell in agony really you know amplifies the situation this was really really expertly done i think and for it to be such a small panel and not a full page not that it would have been a waste if it was a full page but i think less is more in this this event and i think that again having that that one panel at the top of the page was expertly done so kudos to the creative team now gene says gone they're all gone they're gone so remember we have uh redirected these signals from the mother mode collars and they've been going after gene and so they have arrived this is terrifying. So there's a, a bit of a voiceover while the Sentinels approach the uh, escape hub and they're drilling in. They're ripping it apart to get to Jean. And mind, she's the only one left alive. So we get, look at what they've done. What they always do. Look at how this always ends with fire and death and the funerals of our children. Every victory, ash. Every triumph, defeat. They've murdered so many of us. The world has grown used to it. This is just how things are for those people, for mutants, for black people, for marginalized people. No more. Ah, yo this now i didn't have the emotional reaction that i'm sure was probably intended but i did have a reaction again i mentioned before how um i feel like the mutants in this instance are representations of black people pretty much because it's vague enough or it's not pinned down and be in concrete enough i think any marginalized um group can put themselves into the mutants place in this instance in this new iteration and it feel like yeah i could see that i say that because it feels like an old school x-men story it feels like these events matter it feel like this big grandiose story where things are going to get worse before they get better um we pull out from gene's attack to outer space like even a wider panel of outer space while charles is doing this voiceover and we see the sentinels just devouring her uh her escape pod then we cut to a wide shot of the um Krakoan, um habitat everyone is sad everyone is hunched over everyone's head is now and we close up on charles and his helmet tears streaking down his face and we end it with simply no more this when we look at the shit that the mutants have been through over the course of X-Men's existence, you see how terrifying this is. 
I remember when the Ferguson things were happening, like the um, the protest and the um, all of the coverage and whatnot. And I remember, and I'm not the first person to say this. I've saw this like floating around online before, but how is it that you can identify with the mutants and understand why they hate humans, but don't understand the pain of actual black people? And insert other marginalized groups, but specifically for me, black people. How do you understand why the X-Men are fighting against this world that hates and fears them, but when it comes to real life issues, all of a sudden now that part of your brain that makes that make sense can't do that. And this is very much what this feels like. There have been so many instances in black history where systematic takedowns have occurred where we have been lied to and deceived by the powers that be where we have been enslaved where we have been regulated to certain communities and certain spaces like there have been so many things that have happened and i'm speaking again specifically for the black experience because that is mine insert your experience and whatever marginalized experience may vary but specifically this Genosian assassination, this Genosian terrorist attack, and the decimation of the mutants. The decimation, not so much, because that is an event that happened within this supernatural world. But look at Genosha. Yes, it's an event that happened in the supernatural world, but this was an event where the humans of this world did everything in their power to murder millions of of other people I just, there's something I don't think I could get out in words fully what I'm feeling but I will say I'm enjoying this run um, I don't know this is it let me know what you think um, Xavier's Dream Pod or XD Pod what are your thoughts on the, the run so far specifically this issue in House of X issue 4 of 6 was Xavier's dream deferred or was it realized? Was it realized or was it deferred? Because I, I, I'm, I'm on the fence. Um, I think a bit of both. I think it's very much that calm before the storm. I think it's very much is going to get worse before it gets better. And I think this is going to be the thing that motivates, not motivates because they're already motivated. That's going to help people in the book to get into action in a different way to realize that we can't do the things that we've done before this very um mission was something that they haven't done before in this context so um i'm 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 still admittedly admittedly excuse me dealing with this um art definitely does imitate life and vice versa but this though it is a comic and it's played out from a storyteller, a penciler, an inker, a color artist, and an editor, it still feels very much like the news stories and the headlines that we get today or that we've gotten in this world. And not even just in the last five, ten years. Think of since 1963 when the X-Men, like, think of the 60s. All of the stories that we've gotten on real life, on TV, in movies, in books, from the black experience and actual news reports 
from there till now. Like, oh God, I just, I don't know, y'all. I'm, I'm just, I don't know. I don't know how I feel. Let me know how you feel. Um, yeah. So, so what's up? How are you feeling about the story so far? Um, do you agree with any of my points? Do you disagree? If so, please let me know. Again, I want to uh, get you guys' voices on the on one of the recordings. So, if you want to have your voice or your opinion or a comment featured, please email me at carefreeblacknerd at gmail dot com. Um, the subject line: Xavier's Dream, Xavier's Dream Pot, something to that effect. So I'll know. And uh, let me know, you know, what are you referencing? Do you just want to give a general opinion? Is it something in a specific episode you want to address? Just something. Um, also, if you have any questions for me, please use that hashtag when you live tweet or email me the questions and let me know. And I'll, you know, I'll answer them on air um, on the recording. Um, man, all in all, let me know. Was Xavier's dream realized or was it deferred? Let me know. So, guys, until next time, I do want you to... Um, reflect on these dang on stories <laughs> um i like you to stay carefree stay nerdy stay geeky and stay strong and win because this shit was heavy all right in addition to the two mutant extinction level events recent history has seen an uptick in the incidences of human on mutant violence the increased number of mutant births since the lights has only served to provide more opportunity for these human-on-mutant crimes to be enacted. A list of humans who have committed major mutant crimes. Stephen Lang, Project Armageddon, 29 mutant deaths. Mr. Clean, Church of Humanity, 126 mutant deaths. Graydon Creed, Friends of Humanity, 147 mutant deaths. Cameron Hodge, The Right, 178 mutant deaths. The Leper Queen, The Sapien League, 221 mutant deaths. Donald Pierce, Reavers, 348 mutant deaths. William Stryker, Purifiers, 414 mutant deaths. Wanda Maximoff, The Avengers, 986,420 mutant deaths. Bolivar Trask, Sentinels, 16,521,618 mutant deaths. 